This is The Crime Cafe, your podcasting source of great crime, suspense, and thriller writing. I'm your host, Debbie Mack. Before I bring on my guest, I'll just remind you that The Crime Cafe has two ebooks for sale the nine book box set and the short story anthology. You can find the buy links for both on my website, debbiemack.com, under the Crime Cafe link. You can also get a free copy of either book if you become a Patreon supporter. You'll get that and much more if you support the podcast on Patreon, along with our eternal gratitude for doing so. But first, let me put in a good word for Blueberry Podcasting. I'm a Blueberry affiliate, but that's not the only reason I'm telling you this. I've been using Blueberry Podcasting as my hosting service for my podcast for years, and it's one of the best decisions I ever made. They give great customer service. You're in complete control of your own podcast. You can run it from your own website. And it just takes a lot of the work out of podcasting for me. I find for that reason that it's a company that I can get behind 100% and say, you should try this. Try Blueberry. It doesn't require a long-term contract, and it's just a great company, period. And it also has free technical support by email, video, and phone. So you can get a human being there. Isn't that nice? Hi, everyone. My guest today worked with the D.C. Police Department as a detective. So he's done research on job for his books. He's the author of the Frank Marr Trilogy and two standalone crime novels. And we can talk about those, but I am tempted to make this an episode about music, gonzo journalism, and beat poetry based on his own backstory. Uh, His latest novel is called Sweet Thing. And just saying that makes me want to sing like Lou Reed. Sweet (laughs) thing. It's my pleasure to have with me today crime writer David Swinson. Hi, David. Hi, how are you? Good. How are you doing? I uh, understand you, uh, you're feeling a little under the weather, but I'm glad you're able to be with us today. Yeah, but no, it's not. It's just, like I said, it's the COVID booster, so. Ah, yes, we have all endured that wonder. (laughs) So um, let's talk about the two books you've written since the Mara Trilogy. I noticed you set the earlier one, City on the Edge, in a place outside of D.C., well outside of D.C., but very much influenced by things that happen in D.C., so to speak. Um, But your latest one is going back into the D.C. police with a homicide detective as your uh, protagonist in Sweet Thing. So what inspired you to kind of shift perspective like that to one kind of, from one kind of story to another and back? You mean a sweet thing? In uh, going from City on the Edge, which is very different from what I've, I've seen, back to Sweet Thing, yeah. Yeah. Um, City on the Edge is like, you know, we all, as, I think as writers, always have that one book that we've always wanted to write. And, um that had a lot to do with like my uh my history and stuff although you know he didn't i didn't suffer that kind of loss but or witness a murder in beirut or anything but i really love that city you know beirut and um you know i always wanted to use it as a a backdrop to to a novel but then i always knew that um you know i have uh, at that time, before I wrote Sweet Thing, I had two more, 
that book and another book that I owe little a mill hole and little brown and company and um so I always knew I'd, I'd return to like the detective novel and um um speaking of you know sweet thing I mean it, it was I, I was listening a lot to I always make playlists so I was listening a lot to uh the water boys cover of Van Morrison's song sweet thing and and that just really inspired me, and I just really wanted to write write something about how um, it can all go wrong, <laughs> you know. And because um, I, I I like you know the the whole fallen character type thing, and you know, I like those too. Yeah, mm -hmm. a complex character, you know, one that you can get behind who isn't perfect. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I. I don't think I can really write any other kind of character, really. <laughs> we see so many of our own imperfections, I think, and, and like to discuss them in a sense. Mm -hmm. um, let's see. You, uh, your latest book mentions Frank Marr, which I thought was interesting. I've just started it, and I got to the part about Frank Marr and his phone. Um, can you talk about Frank Marr's role, if there is one, in your latest book? Yeah, he has a minor role, but it's a it's a good role. And th that was another thing is I sort of wanted to um, bring back his character um, as sort of a, you know, not sort of, I mean, as before all the bad stuff happened to him. Um, yes. And yeah, just see him on the job, you know, as a younger uh, detective at uh, Narcotics Branch. Um, but I didn't want to give him a, a big role because it was all about Alexander Blum. Exactly, yeah. When is this taking place? What what year is it in the book? 1999. Okay, right. A couple, couple months before um, Y2K. Uh-huh. Aha. Uh -huh. Very interesting. An interesting time. Mm -hmm. uh, I wanted to ask you about research. Did you have to do a lot of research for this book because of the fact that it's based in that in that year? No, I lived it pretty much. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, I remember it vividly. I mean, as as cops, we all really thought it was going to be the end of the world, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, I mean, even our officials did, or, you know, it, it's, you know, that night everybody was, um, you know, in cars on corners. It was all, you know, all hands on deck. And, um, we were all in our, you know, as detectives, we were in our offices and, you know, just waiting for it to, you know, slam down, you know, and everything to shut down and, um, obviously it, it didn't. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. But I sort of like, you know, that as uh you know, as a time, you know, a time period for the book. It was a very peculiar time or moment. I mean, I mm -hmm. remember when when that New Year's Day was, everybody expected suddenly the lights would go out, everything yeah. would go nuts, nothing happened. <laughs> Zombie apocalypse. Yes, exactly. Uh, let's see. Is there research that you do other than what you already know from work? 
Not really, you know, again, you know, kudos to all the authors that can research. I mean, I can't, I'm really bad at it, but I do have, you know, I mean, things in 1999, I mean, the drugs were the drugs and, you know, the, the investigations were, you know, a lot. And I, I, you know, I knew the, the, you know, the law and stuff. Um, things have changed a bit with respect to drugs now. So, you know, like in the new book I'm I'm working on, I do have to like I have those people I call, you know, to ask, you know, what what's the the drug that's you know hitting hard right now, you know, fentanyl and stuff like that. But in 1999, you know, I pretty much knew what was going on. So, but if I needed a refresher or something like that, there were people I would call, but. As far as research, um, uh, really didn't have to. Mm. Wow. Well, that's interesting because that's so unique. Every everybody talks about how much research they do, but you have it all in your head from having worked in it. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, obviously, if I I work on a book that, I mean, I, I write based on experience, not actual cases or anything like that, but just on life experience, because it's easier for me. Research is so hard, you know, I mean, and it's grueling and it's like outlining. I don't outline either. And so, you know, because I, I write by the seat of my pants. And so, you know, I mean, outlining is difficult. You know, I sometimes wish I, I did outline, but, you know, and research, but I, I just, I just can't. I suppose if I would ever write something in, you know, the 1800s or something like that, there'd be a heck of a lot of research I'd have to do. <laughs> well, I admire your ability to write by the seat of your pants because you. I can't I can't seem to function without some kind of outline, even if it's mm -hmm. just a bare bones. <laughs> well, I, I, no, I take notes. Notes are basically like my outline. I mean, I, I take mm -hmm. tons and tons of notes. Good practice. Um. I've never asked anybody but this, but let me ask you, what do you think motivates people to write about crime? Um, even before I became a cop, you know, I've always wanted to be a writer. And, you know, even before I became a cop, I was always, you know, interested in writing about crime and, and stuff like that. I don't know. I, I just think that in crime, there's, you know, like, you know, everything you know i mean like that you want to explore you know and you know it's um you know to me it's the you know the fallenness of man i mean it's and as a detective i i saw the greatest things and the worst things you know so i mean that's what you get in crime you know and crime writing and it's not all just crime crime you know i mean because it's you know it's a regular life too for the characters but mm -hmm. yeah. it's just human emotion and human yeah. relationships yeah there's certain things with respect to crime i won't get into you know things having to do with children or you know you know things like that so that yeah it's just not fun <laughs> i i can i can appreciate what you're saying yeah let's see um so uh, can you tell us a little bit about your latest book and what you're working on now? Oh, the one I'm working on now? Um, also, the latest book that's coming out. 
Oh, well, it's already, Sweet Thing's already out. Mm-hmm. Um, it came out on the 7th. And mm-hmm. um, it follows this detective, Alexander Blum, who um, uh, him and his partner, catch a, Kelly Ryan, catch a, a case, a homicide. And um, he finds something on his own there um that he sort of pockets that um suggesting that his confidential informant might have some uh, not he doesn't know yet but knows the homicide victim and so um one thing leads into another and he ends up falling into a really um sort of like it's a, I mean, she's sort of a femme fatale type personality, but um, uh, a relationship with the confidential informant's girlfriend, and just everything goes downhill from there. <laughs> yes, I can imagine. Uh, so, shall we talk about Hunter Thompson or having drinks with Timothy Leary and coming mm-hmm. up with a movie that actually gets shown in theaters? <laughs> Well, I had drinks with both of them, but, um, <laughs> you know, uh, Tim Larry I didn't really have a lot of drinks with. I mean, um, I um, I had, when I was booking concerts at this nightclub called Bogart's Nightclub in Long Beach, California, we had a an off night Wednesdays, and um, I came up with an idea to do evenings of conversation. You know, with uh, again because I wanted to be an author and all this stuff. So obviously, obviously, I'll pick authors and poets, and you know, um, you know, even like stand up with John Waters and stuff like that. And um, so we did a couple of shows, and and then um, I remember um, reading Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, and. Um, thinking it'd be really cool to get Hunter S. Thompson there. He'd never, ever in his life done a nightclub. And um, I got a hold of Bill Stanky, who's to this day is one of my good friends who managed him. And Bill's reaction was, are you sure you want to do that? And so I I never really quite understood what he meant until after I met Hunter. (laughs) But um, it ended up becoming like uh, in that short amount of time that you know, I got to know Hunter. We weren't friends or anything, but we we did hang out a little bit, and um, you know, before and after the show, and I I go to his hotel, and um, we'd have lunch or something with a, a couple other people, and I mean, in that short amount of time, I just like um, it really impacted me. It was really cool, and Timothy Leary sort of became a mentor of mine, and um. He's a very creative man, and Bill Stanky also handled him. and And um, one time we were at, at um, Timothy Leary's home. He he lived, I think, in a cul-de-sac in Beverly Hills. I don't remember, but right across the street was the Charles Manson was the home that mm-hmm. well, Charles Manson, but his followers went into. And um, we were in there. Um, talking about everything from virtual reality which didn't exist 
And Timothy would say, you know, there'll come a time, David, where, you know, all you might be in New York and uh, which was prophetic because I'm in New York and <laughs> um, I, I might be in L.A. and you, we might get together on a computer and play tennis. And I go, nah, that's <laughs> 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 yeah, crazy. But um, and then we all came up with an idea for a, a sort of offbeat road movie called Roadside Prophets. Um, and, um, and it ended up, you know, I ended up getting it developed and getting a deal for it. And um, um, it became a movie with New Line Cinema, a fine line cinema, new, fine line New Line Cinema. Hmm. And, and Timothy Leary was in it. Hunter S. Thompson was gonna be a sheriff in it but new line cinema said no way <laughs> we're not gonna have him we're not gonna have <laughs> drugs on the set and, um, john doe from x was in it and john cusack adam horowitz from the beastie boys so it was a pretty cool film is there any way uh, to see it is it online yeah, at all or? it's on prime yeah oh, it's on prime, prime. okay yeah. just recently they you know, they they put it on there like a year ago, which is strange, but that it took so long. It was made in 1991. Hmm. Fascinating. Um, let's see. If there is one thing you could pick that you wish they would stop doing in cop shows on TV, what would it be? Your finger on the trigger. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, my Take husband points that out all the time. Yeah. Yeah, your husband's a, a retired fireman. That's right. But um, yeah, no, that just you know, there's a lot of other stuff like touching evidence in a, in a certain way. You know, you can obviously you have to touch evidence. You know, when you recover it and stuff like that. But um you know, or, or what they do with a body, you know, how they, you know, move a body. And again, you do have to move a body sometimes and, you know, after you're all done. But um, yeah, there's a lot of things that bother me. I'm the guy you don't want to sit with watching one of those, like probably like your husband, like you don't, I, you don't want to be watching a crime movie or crime TV show with me. Yeah, I, I tend to be that way about courtroom stuff. It's mm -hmm. like my husband doesn't even want to watch that stuff anymore because he he doesn't want to hear me uh, objecting to it throughout. Are you making a speech or asking a question? <laughs> yeah, exactly. uh, <laughs> okay, yeah. Let's see. What advice would you give to anyone interested in writing for a living? Don't quit your job. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah always you know i'm fortunate that i have a pension you know but um that's the best advice that was given me i mean years and years ago i mean before i became a cop because i just wanted to be a writer and you know work in retail and there's nothing wrong with working in retail and um and i would never give you know I worked, you know, I worked in retail and so I was trying to be a writer. So I had a job and then, you know, then I became a concert promoter and I didn't have time to write anymore. And then the film stuff, but yeah, don't, you know, um, don't quit your job. And also don't ever realize the obstacles, you know, 
because once you see the obstacles and how difficult it is <laughs> yeah. that, that can cripple you and um i mean one thing i've been good at in my life is just well, not in so much now i stress about everything but um is don't realize the obstacles and don't you know just move keep moving forward and and don't give up you know i mean before the second girl um after a detailed man which is now on down and out books and before the second girl and i got a three book deal with um Mulholland and Little Brown. Um, I had three novels that were rejected, you know, and I got so discouraged. I just wanted to quit and, you know, but I didn't, but I really wanted to, <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, but I, I kept going, you know, and I got, I got my deal when I was, I think 51 or I don't even remember. I, I sort of put that, the age out of my head. So I don't like, you know, <laughs> I don't think about it. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm there with you. It's like, I know the feeling of, gosh, why am I doing this? You know, mm. you do it because you love doing it. Basically. Yeah, you don't stop. Keep doing you just, it. I mean, you just, just keep going. Yeah, you just, you keep going, you know? Um, yeah. Because if you're a writer, you're a writer. I mean, and, you know, that's, that's what you do. But it's exactly. not, it's not easy. I mean, it's, I mean, I have a deal and it's not easy i mean it's not easy for me like to to sit down and write it's the hardest thing in the world for me right now is to to sit down and, and write but once i you know break through you know uh, like ten thousand, fifteen thousand words or whatever it pretty much rolls for me but it's getting to that point i don't know about you but it's like ah it's grueling yeah, I think the getting started on a new project is the hardest yeah. part of it. Yeah, I don't it's know like, any author that it's not. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't know anybody who for whom this comes easily, you know? Yeah. Oh, maybe maybe Stephen King and James Patterson. Maybe Stephen yeah. King. Yeah, yeah maybe uh, those Stephen, guys. I wish I could have a little bit of his blood. <laughs> <laughs> that would be nice. I wouldn't mind collaborating with Stephen King. <laughs> Maybe you and I should get together and collaborate with Stephen King. Yeah. Write a, a, a three-way book. <laughs> it can be done. It can be done. Um, I, I believe in the power of collaboration. I'm just big on that now. Now that I'm doing screenwriting. Screenwriting is very collaborative. Um, yeah. 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 Believe. Oh, boy um is there anything else you'd like to oh i would like to ask you if you have a favorite author or one who has particularly inspired your writing um yeah de definitely and you know harper lee without a doubt oh cool you know there's several others but i mean that's my go-to book is to kill a mockingbird and um because it sort of encaps encapsulates you know every genre from courtroom drama to, to you know, to thriller, suspense, and mystery, and, you know, and social injustice, and, you know, I mean, everything. And, I mean, when I just really need, which I need now, I'm, so I should probably get, pick it up and read it again. I've read it a dozen times, and each time I get something new out of it. Well, but there's, there's so many other authors, George V. Higgins, you know, the uh, friends of Eddie Coyle and you know um and how he 
is so brilliant with a, a novel that's like 90% dialogue and it's so dialogue driven. It, it, I don't know how you can move a story with just dialogue, but he does. And it's brilliant. Hmm. Wow. That's really cool. I'm, I'm going to have to read that book because I hear so much about it and I've seen yeah. the movie. The movie is just woo. <laughs> yeah. And so many new authors out too. And, and friends of mine, tons of them, Jim Grady, who I love and, you know, um, and so many others. I, I don't want to get off mentioning them because I'm going to forget somebody. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, I'm just, you know, Hillary Davidson. and But, um, you know, there's just so many other authors who inspire me and, you know, who, whose work I love. You know. Same here. Yeah. It's really hard to pick a single one that I can well, say. Oh, you can't because you just, you know. Because, I mean, you go, we met at C3, I believe, the convention. Mm -hmm. And when you go to these things like that, you just get to know so many different authors, you know, and it's just, they, they become fan. It's like cop, it's like, you know, it's it, it's like brothers and sisters in blue. I mean, you you have your brothers and sisters in writing, you know, and it's the same kind of family thing. Very true, very true. Is there anything else you'd like to add before we finish up? No, mm -mm. No. no. All right. Well, thank you so much for being here and spending time with us. And it was great to see you. Yeah, time. I just looked at the clock. I didn't realize time flew so. Oh, fast. it just flies by. It's amazing. Yeah. yeah, but no, it was great, Debbie. And thank you. And maybe I'll see you again um, at the next C3 or somewhere else. I hope so. Yeah, I hope I get to see you at one of these conferences maybe someday i'll be traveling again and mm -hmm. it's like my husband's afraid to get on a plane at this point um, well by the way and uh, one thing i would i don't know when this is going to air but you know i will be in at one more page books in arlington virginia on the 14th at seven o'clock um okay i think Mm, I, th I think we're going to air a little bit after that act. Oh, okay. It's not, but that, you know, so I am doing some traveling, as you know, and I did mysterious books in New York City and our bookshop. I mean, uh, how fun. That's yeah, great. Like that. Yeah. Most of my other stuff is just virtual. But yeah, thank you, Debbie. I appreciate it. Sure thing. I uh, am glad to help out. Um, on that note, let me just say uh, thank you to everyone for listening. If you like the idea of getting an ad-free episode from me, uh, check out my Patreon page. I already have two books for sale on my shop there and at a substantial discount from the norm. And I intend to add some more books that will be discounted if you, if you become a patron. So on that note, I'll just say thank you to my current patrons and to those who follow me on Patreon. Thank you for being there and for your support. And also, as, as it happens, I'm recording this on the Friday before Veterans Day. So my this is a shout out to our veterans. Thank you for your service. Until next time, our guest will be Liz Alterman. Take care and happy reading.